0: Moments like seeing my son's team cheer him on mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, which is breast cancer that is spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take iBrandt's Palbocyclip. Ibrand's 125-milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR-positive HER2-NBC negative as the first hormonal-based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrands and visit iBrandt's.com.
1: This episode is dedicated to Sarah Miller-Arnon, mother of our producer, Ben Arnon. Sarah was a loving mother, wife, teacher, and guiding light. We love you, Sarah. Until we meet again. I'm Erica Alexander. And I'm Whitney Dow. Welcome to Reparations, The Big Payback, a production of Color Farm Media, iHeartRadio, and the Black Effect Podcast Network.
2: That theme of paying back is also a very deeply church theme. When I grew up, there was a song we sang called Payday is Coming After a While. And there were a number of songs that suggested that injustice just doesn't get away. Now, when I think about the moral piece of this, I want to look at it through two lenses. One lens is the religious lens, or Judeo-Christian perspective. And then the other is from... The constitutional lens. And the third one might be that many people don't realize, Erica, that for years, there was no separate study of economics in this country or in the world, that the study of economics was a part of moral philosophy. In other words, you you would study moral philosophy.
3: Did you hear that? Did I hear what,
1: Reverend Barber? No, no, after, after Reverend Barber, that silence.
3: Ah, yes, I heard it. Why are we listening to silence, Erica?
1: Well, you know, as a reminder of where we're all going at this brief life's end, you know? And the other day we went on a field trip to visit my dad's cemetery out in New Jersey, and I hadn't been there in over 30 years, and we'll get into why that is, but remember... After we talked, before we left, we just stood there for a little while and listened to the silence.
3: I remember that. But why are you thinking about that right now? Because we've been going so fast. We threw
1: ourselves into this big reparations world and all that comes with it. So maybe we need a moment to settle down and just Listen, stop talking. And if we did, maybe we'd be able to hear the angels speak. I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) I mean, also to remember why we wanted to do this. What do we want to get out of it? What did you want to get out of it?
3: Hmm. Well, I think that I wanted to get a couple of things out of it. Something for myself that I wanted to get was a deeper understanding of this idea of reparations and what it might mean for our country. Because I think that so much of the time you think you understand something and you don't really understand it. You have sort of a vague idea about it. And once you dig into it, you realize it's so much more complicated. Then something I want on a a larger scale, I really, I've always talked about, Eric, I know you laugh at it, but this idea that I'm trying to save white people. And I really want, what I mean by that is I want to bring white ears to this story, that I think that so much of the time, white people think that the story of reparations really is something for black people, but so they could hear themselves in that story. And I think if you can bring white ears to the story, you also have the opportunity to bring white hearts as well. It's kind of like Reverend Barber who's dedicated his life to the Poor People's Campaign and the work of Martin Luther King, and he has this goal of fusion politics. And what that means is that the fates of black and white people are linked together. They're fused together, that we aren't on these separate journeys, that we're connected. And so what affects one affects the other. And I think sort of what we've done here, Erica, I hope we've done, is we've kind of been trying to do fusion storytelling, where we show that the black and white story are intimately linked together, and you can't understand one without the other.
0: hmm Yeah.
1: Well, it's been a hell of a journey, and I got to give it up for the race advocates. People like Reverend Barber of the Poor People's Campaign, he's amazing. I don't know how they all stay sane in this world. It's exhausting. I mean, we're definitely not the same people we were when we started this. hmm Or perhaps we were always our same selves and this process created extraordinary conditions to test the outer limits of who we thought we were versus who we really are. As you can see, I've become Confucius in between all this. But yeah, (laughs) stress, it's a purifier.
3: Pain and suffering too. Well, What do you mean by that, Erica, that it's a purifier? Like who's it purifying? I don't know. I, You know, it, it, that's
1: actually a deep question because, if you know, if stress and pain could purify something, you'd think the United States would be in a better space. But I think it's been so successful at what it's done in terms of the oppression on people of color and black people that it really hasn't experienced the pain enough and suffering of that <laughs> to change. I really don't. But um, before our trip to the cemetery, had I ever told
3: you about my dad's death? No, we've talked a lot about your family, of course, your mom, but no, not specifically about your father's passing. Why do you want to talk about him now? Well, because my father's
1: story is a tale of morality, and that topic indirectly is relevant to what we're talking about. What lies underneath this whole reparations talk is one of personal character and accountability. Morality. So, okay, let's talk about it, and let's talk about our road trip You know, I'm glad we took Reverend Barber along with us to sit shotgun. (laughs) He knows a little something about the road
3: we were traveling. He certainly does. In fact, he led the way.
2: You would study moral philosophy. And as a part of moral philosophy, you studied economics because the suggestion was there was no way to be moral if you were immoral with your money and immoral with the way you treated people based on their relationships with money and wealth. That was separated in America in large part due to slavery, because you can't on the one hand say that economics is a moral issue when you build a system on slavery that has five underpinnings. And the first of it is evil economics and an evil economics. And I've kind of coined these five evil economics, meaning that the end justifies the means. So if your goal is to get wealthy and to exceed other nations that have been in existence thousands of years before you, and the only way to do that is to turn people into property, then the end, your wealth, justifies the means, which is a form of evil economics.
3: Do you know where the grave is?
1: I have no idea. She said it was under a big oak. I was hoping that there would be somebody here we
3: could ask So, Erica, how did your dad die?
1: Well, it was pretty brutal. Uh, let me put it to you this way. If he had been an animal, they would have put him down years before, just to end his suffering. But, I don't know, Whitney, the details are like pain pornography, and I don't want to get into that.
3: is coming out of the Holland Tunnel into New Jersey.
1: We're at Rosemount Cemetery in New Jersey, Elizabeth, New Jersey, and my father is buried here. And I don't know exactly where, but my mother said it was in front of an oak tree and the office is closed. There's a lot
3: of trees here. I think that there's a big oak tree over there.
1: Yeah. So the identifying marker of this place is that everything's flat. There are no, like, standing graves. I don't know if that's just what they decided so they can maybe put more people here. But uh, it's not the prettiest place. His name was Robert Lee Murray Alexander. He was a preacher. And he lived a tough life. He was also a complicated, fascinating person. Born in the Southwest, he was an orphan, and his hobo preacher life certainly took its toll. And in his short life, he ran fast, but he wasn't built for speed. I don't know where it is. In fact, I haven't been here in over 30 years. He died in 1993. And, uh, we, uh, buried him, and I haven't come back since. He was born with a bad heart. He died of congestive heart failure and adult diabetes. He was, uh, I think, 50 years old, and he passed away in East New York, Brooklyn. We lived in the Parsonage, where my mother, Sammy, also an orphan and soon to be a widow, performed her vow to death to us part. And she took care of him until he breathed his last. And it wasn't easy because toward the end of his life, his legs started to rot and turn gangrene because of the circulation. It was so compromised. He died January 13, 1993. It was just before I was going to start The Cosby Show. And the um, funeral director had a, an interesting comment that he said to my mother. He said that my dad must have been paying a debt because it marked his flesh and bone as fair trade. He told my mother that he had never seen a body that had gone through as much pain and suffering in all his years of undertaking.
3: Wow. I see.
0: Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this.
4: Class is in session.
0: Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen.
4: Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for The Everyday Guy. dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.
1: Moments like my daughter telling me a new joke mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, which is breast cancer that is spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrance, Palpal
2: The next one issue would be sick sociology, and that is that people can be around each other physically, but there has to be a hierarchy. There has to be a us-them. You cannot have an equal society. The third pillar would be political pathology, and that is that all of your politics are designed to protect this evil economics and to protect this sociology So much so that when you even write your founding documents, you have to make sure that the system of slavery is protected because you can't even have a unity or a constitution without that. The last two are bad biology. So in the 17th century, a French scientist came up with this idea. You can read about this in one of Cornell West's books called Prophesied Deliverance, in which they said, you could determine brain size by skin color. You saw some of this in the movie Django and people thought it was just the movie. It was actually real. There were scientists who suggested that you could determine brain size by skin color. Therefore, skin color became a sign of one's lesser humanity or actually one's lack of humanity. And then the last one is heretical ontology. Ontology is the study of God's intentions. And so the argument was that God intended the evil economics, God intended the sick sociology, God intended the political pathology, God intended the bad biology, God intended the system of slavery, which is in itself a heresy. It is the abuse and misuse of theology. So when you ask that question about from a moral perspective, I just wanted to lay that out first.
1: Now. To be clear, my father was no Hitler, no Pol Pot, no Dick Cheney. And yet, in an unfair way, here he was in East New York mythology. Now, that's near Brownsville. And this is the early 90s. It's a real rough place. That his physical body looked so tortured that it was a standout visual for pain and suffering? It's deep. But why him? Why did my father, a local preacher, what did he do to deserve that in? My best guess is that he didn't do anything, he's just how life is. Life is unfair, imbalanced. It's cruel, right? He was a star in anyone's room. He was very charismatic, he was very smart, he was intelligent, he was a genius. He could pick up languages quick. He was very good at reading rooms, reading people. He was a healer, he was an extraordinary healer. Pastors noted how gifted he was, but also touched by the spirit. It was more than just a calling or something that his grandmother said he'd do. He was really made for it. But we try to make sense of these things. So I rethought about it. And this is what I came up with. That my dad had violated a moral honor code. And that the ramifications of that debt penetrated another dimension. And he would not be allowed to leave his human life without paying that bondsman. My great-grandmother, who was present at his birth, she was a very powerful woman, they say, with a very deep voice. Maybe that's where I get it from a little bit. Saw signs of his anointing and declared that he was special and that he was to be, in her words, a man of God. And that marked him with a brand. And my father was special. He was mostly fulfilled that mission as as far as I'm concerned. But um, when his life choices morally didn't add up to his destined mission, the universe served him up a world of pain that matched the likes of Job as payment for undelivered services. So America may be in the same situation. She may have to pay the Reaper a hard price for failing to fulfill her mission. I really believe there's a bounty on America's head for the sin and failure of being so immoral. And if there is a God, then maybe in death my father has earned his place back into his good graces. But it was going to have to be through great pain and suffering.
2: In Judeo-Christian thinking, in the Old Testament, there was always reparations. Always reparations. You never just took from people. In fact, every 50th year, there was something called but season of jubilee. And in that season of jubilee, all slaves were to be free. All debts were to be canceled. All people were to be restored. And there was a thinking among the early Jewish rabbis and all that if that ever happened, if it ever actually happened, that the kingdom of God would come in its fullness. In the New Testament, Jesus clearly taught that if you stole from somebody, you didn't just replace what you stole. You had to replace two, three, four fold what you stole. And until that happened, there's a very powerful story of a tax person in the scripture that says he wants to follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, go get baptized. Jesus doesn't say, put some oil on your head. Jesus doesn't say, say hallelujah. Jesus doesn't say that. He said, who have you stolen from, Zacchaeus? And he says, well, I stole from this. He said, okay, go and return to the folk that you have stolen from. And he goes out and he returned. He said, I've done even more than just what I took. I restored three, fourfold. And then Jesus said, now salvation has come. In other words, he couldn't just say, I stole from all those folk, but oops, now I want to be saved. Can you accept me? And Jesus has said, you're forgiven. No, 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 no. You have to restore what you've stolen and then salvation. So whether we look at it historically or constitutionally or from a religious perspective, the issue of reparation is a serious theological, moral, and constitutional issue.
3: How do you feel standing here?
1: No, it's a not a n- nice place. It's pretty ugly. I feel like it's a Soviet type of compound. You know, the it's everything's flat and the grass is patchy and I don't know. If you didn't know a graveyard was here, you just think it was a really badly unkept yard. And my father, who didn't pay attention to those types of things, probably would have liked to to be in a nicer place. It's too bad he's not.
3: There's no headstones. It's all flat markers, and you just the only thing that's vertical are some of the flowers that are poking up around. So we're pretty close by the uh, Newark Airport. Airport and the highway. Well, thank you for bringing me here, Erica.
1: Thank you. And Dad, I'm sorry we don't have a marker for you, but he he doesn't live here anymore. So it doesn't matter what's here or not here. Took a reparations documentary and a discussion about race to get me back to see my father, which is interesting. Yeah. Anyway, this journey is bigger than us. It's bigger than the sound of our voice and our understanding, but it is not bigger than a vision laid out long before we arrived here on this hot blue spinning rock.
3: You know, Erica, in the context of this conversation about morality, this idea that people often say that People shouldn't be judged by the worst thing they've ever done. Or they ask that question, should people be judged by the worst thing that they've ever done? And I think sort of collectively, that's what white Americans are grappling with now. Are we as white Americans, can we escape this thing? Can we escape this immoral thing of slavery that's our legacy? Are we somehow captives to this worst thing we've ever done? Can we ever outlive it? Can we ever outrun it? Can we ever change it? Is reparations something that could even change it? We're living in this time of reckoning right now. And is there anything that we can do that will balance the scale? Is there anything we can put on the other side of the scale that will equal the sins of the past?
1: Oh, well, it's a human thing. That's why reparations is a heavy subject. Because it's weighed down by centuries of hand wrangling and debates over what it is to be human. Who gets to be human? And alongside the idea of debt and repayment between disgruntled parties, we're also talking about moral debt. Again, this is outside of cash or gold or diamonds or oil. It's a moral repayment, restitution. It's one that perhaps can mend fences and create bridges to a more perfect union. And that's epic stuff. We'll need more silence going forward so we can listen as we search and Try to rescue the ingredients that can make our nation in all its glory a reality.
0: Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening.
4: When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts
0: tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. It's important to ask the big questions.
1: How do we do reparations? Well, that depends on us facing a national moral reckoning. In thinking about my life and others, I know who may be dealing with existential crises can lay the blueprint of how we approach these difficult questions and come up with better answers. Yeah, better answers. Where do I always come up with better answers? I know, I'll ask my mom.
5: Sometimes life demands more of us than we can give. And I was thinking sometime we are malnourished or undernurtured for the lives that are forced upon us. And I think that Robert gave what he could, Sometimes I believe that he might have been induced to things because of his malnourishment in life and looking at others, wishing that he had this or that and feeling inadequate. Sometimes, you know, deeds didn't match up because you're trying to reach for that ring, grab, and sometimes you fall. But I won't be harsh and how I judged his commitment. I think he wanted very much to be a leader, a person that gave. And those were the sentiments of his last days. That's the reason I say you look at someone's heart because you can't really say you love someone unless you are willing to look at the whole of that person. They're good, they're bad, they're failures, they're successes. I don't think that he became the person that he wanted to become for many reasons. I think that there were times that life hit him so hard and he was so discouraged that he couldn't bounce back. He was afraid to say yes to life many times. And I think that that was one of his greatest regrets.
1: Do you feel, because we've been talking about reparations in the United States, that Black people are kind of like in this really unholy marriage, that they feel the same way? That it's very difficult to walk away from something that's not working for them, that actually harms them, that can actually do harm to them and continues to, and they are unwilling to because of their ultimate humanity or what do you think's going on there?
5: I think we stay for very complex reasons, just as one would stay in a marriage for very complex reasons. And most of us have come to realize the sacrifice and the toll that our foreparents paid in their own blood. And to walk away from this country, no matter how hateful and onerous it may be. To walk away would be to ignore their sacrifice, to say that it was in vain. That is the way I feel. They were not paid, but they built a country. They fought for a country, shed their blood, and were treated less than human beings. If I walked away, before their descendants had gotten their due in every way by having a full measure, that would be the greatest dishonoring of their sacrifice. So yes, I stay and I can't just live on the laurels and say my foreparent sacrifice. It means that I must constantly work there is a scripture in the bible says you must work out your soul's salvation so to me staying in this country contributing to it seeing saying to it no matter what you do to me how you dishonor me i will honor what belongs to me if we walked away and just said, we're giving up on this country, it's never going to be what it should be, then all of that would be lost. We can't allow that.
1: Lastly, I want to talk to you about morality, to America's personal responsibility and immorality and moral calling that they put in their constitution. What would you say to the government now that they have the opportunity to step forward into that light What is the forward motion for us all, for America, the government, morality and immorality?
5: Well, there is a lesson that we need to reckon. America touts itself as being a Christian country in large part, but we seem to have lost our moral compass. And now the word democracy is threatened. You're hearing people say that our Constitution is outdated. You're hearing people say that it's all right if one particular group or a majority group does whatever they wish that the ends justify the means and that the God that we have created is not the one that has created us. And we seem to serve that God, to prefer to serve that God than the one that says to us, Love your enemy. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Be just toward every man. Stand fast in the faith that was once delivered to you by your ancestors. Teach your children what I have done for you and to you, how I brought you so that they will worship me and they will recognize the hand of God. All of those things are in the Bible setting a light, a path for us. But we have chosen to create our own God, one of gold, one of silver, one that says, take what you wish. It doesn't matter if the other fellow starves. It doesn't matter if the other fellow doesn't have a home. That's our morality now. Our morality is don't worry about righteousness getting you into a kingdom. You can always bribe Peter at the gate. Anyway, who believes in heaven anymore? Our heaven is right here. And we can make hell for those folks Whenever we want to. So now they say, oh, you can't protest anymore because it's getting dangerous for me. Not because you don't have a right to your voice. You don't have a right to any action that says you can take what belongs to you. We say survival of the fittest, but we don't want to test the fitness of certain people, you know. We have a morality that says one thing, does another. The Native Americans say we speak with the four tongues. I sometimes say we speak from both orifices and none of that is beneficial. So I think that America is soon coming to the time when she will be called to redeem herself or to fight for whatever new existence that she says she wants to maintain. You know, you will either give in and say to the people of all races, all thraces of life, you have a right to exist and we will live in peace, or we will say, no, you will be annihilated and only, as they say, the creme de la creme, will survive. And we'll see. I think we're fast coming to that place.
1: Mom, one last thing. Could you sing a little bit of the Star Spangled Banner?
5: Oh, say can you see By the dawn's early light What so
3: This podcast is produced by Eric Alexander, Ben Arnon, and Whitney Dow. The executive producers are Charlemagne the God and Dolly S. Bishop. The supervising producer is Nicole Childers, and the lead producer is Devin Mavick-Robbins. The producer-writer is Cerise Castle, and the associate producer is Kevin Fan. with additional research support provided by Niall Blass. Original music by DJ DTP.
1: Step back, Mahalia. A star is born. <laughs> Reparations The Big Payback is a production of Color Farm Media, iHeartRadio, and the Black Effect Podcast Network in association with Best Case Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful
0: new floor at Right Rug Flooring.